0: Hello everyone and welcome to the fifth session in this six-part audio series that comes from a mindfulness course called Intimacy with Nature and Our Own Inner Wildness that was hosted by the Adventure Syndicate. In this session, we explore the body as a source of wisdom, the body as pure nature and pure knowing, the body as peace and as wildness. The body as the steady and safe holder of all experiences. Enjoy. Today, we are going to talk about the body. Um, I guess that every, I don't know, meditation teacher or something like that is going to put the emphasis on what they... I try to teach only what I experience myself. And when it's something that I haven't experienced myself, I try to make sure that I tell the people where I got this from. Maybe I might not know it from my own experience, but then I'll say they say, or so-and-so says. Um, but to me, the, the, the body is the key. <laughs> and I was thinking whether I should share a little bit about my... Um, well, let's see how much time we have at the end. Yeah. Um, so, of course, our body is pure nature, and it is pure knowing. It's with the body that we, that we know. I mean, even our brain is also the body, although it can be, um, you know, th- there is also a conversation going on about that we're not, we're not only the body, no, but, but we have this body, and it's pure nature. Uh, and the body has, it is peace, and it is also wildness. So we have this body that is uh, a steady and safe container that can hold all of our experiences. Um, And now that we're going to talk about the body, I want to start with the heart, part of the body. Uh, So you know that scientists have discovered that we have a bunch of cells in our heart that are actually neurites. They're like neurons and they do exactly, they, they react and do exactly the same as neurons. And they communicate with the brain in our head <clears throat> through the vagus nerve. And the same is true for our gut. Our gut is lined with nerves, nerve cells that communicate with our brain. And scientists now know that our gut can greatly influence, for example, our moods. And <clears throat> again, there's so much ancestral wisdom in language because we say that we have, I had this gut feeling. When we can't quite explain it rationally, but we just know that we should or shouldn't do this or that. Or, tr- or trust this or that person. And we also say, I just know it in my heart that this is, right, this is the right thing for me. You know, we say that uh, <clears throat> and we, we know things with and in our heart and with and in our gut. And it turns out this is not just a way of speaking. It's actually literally true. The heart and the stomach, who then send signals to the brain, and it turns out that the neurons in our heart are actually much, much faster at knowing things than the brain, who is really slow in picking up things in comparison. They've tested this many times. If you want to check this out, then go to heart math. Heart math like mathematics but heart math they do a lot of research on the on the heart Um, and did you know also that in most asian languages the word for mind for mind is the same as the word for heart and that when they talk about the mind they put their hand on their heart and in the 90s, in the early 90s, when neuroscientists first went to India to meet and to study Tibetan monks who'd been meditating for meditated for decades, uh, and the scientists wanted to to, um, to investigate their brains, and they were putting all these what you call these things on uh, these apparatus, these electrical things on the on the, they started putting them on the heads, and the Tibetans were going. No 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 it's not there it's here pointing to the heart the mind and the action is here they were saying you know <laughs> and remember that in in uh, in chinese the word for mindfulness is present heart so our 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 brain we're leaving the heart for now uh, because we can all investigate further if, if we're interested and the work that Uh, heart math is doing is very very interesting so our brain has two hemispheres the left and the right and our western society is is extremely left-brained you can read about this if you want to to check it out further this man uh, is called ian mcgulchrist he's actually english i think but he lives on the isle of Skye. I've tried to contact him, but he won't reply to me, <laughs> but he's got this book. I can't remember what it's called. They're like, all these books are like this thick, but he talks about, and he has, he's, he's like a, a poet. I mean, he studied poetry at Oxford or Cambridge and taught poetry there, but then he uh, studied to become a, a, a doctor, a medic, and then he became a neuroscientist. So he's like really, really skilled this, this man, and he's studied the brain and, uh, um, he's written these books about the history of societies and the history of the Western world of the industrial society and so on. And he says that we're, we've, we've changed, we've become like um, a left-brained society. And now I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means. The left brain separates everything it sees and it classifies and organizes it into different separate boxes. I mean, you can hear that this is the Western society, right? Uh so the left brain sees things as linear and orderly it makes plans in a straight line and it focuses on objects like separate objects but the right hemisphere on the other hand doesn't see the world nor ourselves as separate objects it sees the whole it engages in holistic thinking it engages our intuition and in, it engages in our bodily awareness and in our feelings. And it takes the ho- it's always looking for the whole, the, the connections between the things, um, uh, instead of just seeing separate objects. So, this actually goes back to Lee's observation the very first night we met, when she said that as a child in school, she was taught to principally pay heed to her head. And forget about her body. That's, that's actually what the Western society is doing. That we only use the left brain which is separating things. It's this object and this object and this object and it's very object fo- focused and very separating and organizing it into separate classified uh, boxes. So it turns out that this excessively left brain approach of our Western societies, it can actually make us pretty unhappy, unsatisfied and unfulfilled because we're not engaging and integrating the right hemisphere of the brain that sees the whole and not the, just these separate objects. And, and this right hemisphere is the hemisphere that knows how to listen and feel into the body. This is actually called introception. I, I don't know if this was invented by, what's his name, van der Kolk or something like that, the, the guy that wrote the book The Body Keeps the Score, this term introception So, and introception just means that we feel the body from the inside, that we can sense the body on the inside, like when we're sensing into, it's like the energy body. And we don't sense as much as we could, <laughs> but we can train it. Um so evolution endowed us with these two hemispheres that have very different functions and it probably didn't did that because the two are necessary for us to be whole and to thrive and so we miss out on living to our full potential because we overemphasize the left brain which is all about maximizing these separate objects that it gets enthralled with and so it gets blinded by competing by comparing, by by perfecting and getting ahead and plundering the earth's resources to maximize this separate self without taking into account the whole. That with if we keep plundering the self or plundering ourselves, I mean, plundering the earth or plundering ourselves, uh, our own resources by competing and putting so much exhaustion onto our system, uh, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't sustain life, not even without ours inside ourselves or on this planet. But the left brain hemisphere doesn't see the whole; it doesn't want to see the whole. Um, yeah. So we, the 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 right hemisphere is always looking for the whole person, the whole family, the whole society, and the wholeness of this intricate living web of, of being where everything belongs and where we belong to each other. So the right hemisphere of the brain is also sometimes called the somatic brain. It's not used a lot, but in some meditation circles, it is. So the part of the brain that deeply perceives the felt sense of the inner body and our emotions, because our emotions primarily live in our body. And if we don't have good connection with our body, we can also easily get confused about our feelings, about our emotions. So we actually need to regain and retrain ourselves to get in touch with our bodies and starting to use the right brain hemisphere if we want to reconnect deeply with ourselves and with the wholeness of who we are and our belonging in the entanglement of all life. So, to truly feel whole and come into this fundamental contentment in our life, we need to feel a deep sense of belonging. And how this often works is that normally we feel an intellectual belonging, an intellectual belonging to a number of things, like our career, that's where we feel belonging, our job title, our ideas our political affiliation, our nation, that we feel very strongly about those things, and our family. But the thing is that to feel um, deep, unshakable contentment and peace, the web of our belonging needs to be a lot wider than that and a lot more embodied. Maybe you can intuitively sense what I'm speaking about, Um, when my sense of belonging is principally to con- concepts and ideas like my political affiliation, my career, my job title, um, it's in my head and it is unstable and it doesn't have a wide base to rest on because concepts are they're quite ephemeral and they can change. I mean, the UK used to be part of the EU, now it's not. Scotland used to be part of the of the British. Maybe one day it won't be. You know, it's it's the, these kind of my nation, my I belong to Europe. I'm a European. Well, you know these these concepts they can change, uh, and they are often very easily and they're actually constantly being challenged. They're unstable. They're not really there. Not really graspable. So what I'm talking about is a more embodied belonging. First in our own bodies. In the direct visceral experience of this body you know when we did this meditation that we just did you know I, I, I assume that you kind of felt that oh, you know that resting in the body how good it feels how calm and how secure it can feel to rest in your body when we kind of sink, when we let ourselves kind of sink into the body. It, does, do you agree? Does it feel, can you feel, did you feel that? <laughs> um, so uh, this is what I'm talking about, this direct visceral experience of this body. And then expand this belonging to the belonging to life itself, which we've talked a lot about. It's this notion that you are being breathed, you are being lived. And this isn't just something you have to imagine. I mean, you are not in control of your breath. You cannot decide not to breathe. You won't be able, nobody. We cannot decide not to breathe. Nor can you uh, will yourself to be alive. You can't decide to be alive. Uh, It's not something you do. I mean, your heart and your breath and everything just functions, not because you say, now you need to go like this little heart. It just does it. So, uh, so this broader belonging that I am talking about is this resting in and belonging in this entanglement of life in the web of being. And some might say, oh, isn't that a nice spiritual concept? But it isn't that at all. It's the truest thing there is. I mean, it's much truer than any intellectual ideas that you might have that give you a sense of belonging. Uh, Like I I belong on the right or on the left in politics and then you identify there or I'm a lawyer or a doctor or secretary and this title gives me a sense of identity and belonging. Uh, It does, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm here to say. It's just that it isn't a very reliable base to build our identity on. It is too separate and too unstable, and it's too small to make us feel true belonging, to make us feel, uh, to satisfy our need to feel held by something greater. It's too small. It's like sitting on top of a pinnacle, you know? Whereas imagine... This body that then belongs to the to the rest of the earth, our earth being our larger body that we just sort of grow out of and then belonging in this whole web of life. That's a very broad base. You're not just sitting on top of a little tower that sort of gets shaken all over the place. And our ancestors way back, they they had this connection to the living, breathing earth, to the web of life. And if we want to regain some of this, we have to use our understanding, which is kind of what we're doing here, uh, and our intention and start training and tuning our perception to again feel the beautiful life in our own bodies and how it extends beyond our bodies. So this Uh, nurtures belonging to something completely fundamental true and natural that gives much greater peace and contentment than any of our intellectual ideas and it's been really nice to see for example on the chat that that's what you're all doing (laughs) you know is it olivia or or is it natasha i can't remember who who practices the 13 seconds with the trees (laughs) and resting in that contentment of just wow i'm here at this I'm here with this tree it's amazing Uh, and just the photos you send and all the things you say that you do even Alex when she's all turned on and confused she says you know what I'm just gonna let it all go I'm just gonna be with a (laughs) rabbit you know we can we can do this but it takes some training because it's not what we usually do and it's very nice to see that what what we remember the very first class intention attention and attitude we have hardly mentioned them since and that's like four or five weeks ago and you're all doing that you're all writing about that in in the whatsapp you're all saying oh and then i connected to the tree intention you i came into being intention attention to do that i had to use my intention attention and put it in line it with the tree i had to put my attention on the tree and and connect with it and the attitude I have to have to have this open attitude. If not, it's not going to happen. You know, I'm not going to be there. Ah, oh, stupid tree! But I'm trying to connect to you. You know, we're not going to do that. So, so it's it's it's. Uh, but we do have to do it over and over and over again. And you can just think of it. You know, I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to do some groove digging. I'm going to dig some new grooves because some of the ones I have, they're all on the right side. I'm going to dig some on the, on the left side, on the left hemis- on the on the right hemisphere. Um you know before the scientists say that before the big bang the whole the all the energy of the universe was contained within something the size of a pea and then there was so much energy building inside that thing 14 million years ago and it just exploded and started expanding and it's still spand- expanding the, the big bang is still happening with us in it you know so all of this the trees and the flowers and us and and the life force and everything came out of that little green pea so we're all made of the same stuff when they say when people say we're all made of stardust it's true we're all made of whatever came out of that little green pea of energy then so we are all connected and it's pretty obvious that if we can learn to rest in that, instead of in that really small, delicate piece of identity that we construct, it's going to be a lot more stable and a lot more contentment because we're part of something. We're being held, um, and and also, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and our body is also just like the rest of nature. Sometimes it's very calm. And peaceful and other times it just wants to explode with energy it wants to move it wants to run it wants to dance to twist stretch turn and express all that energy in full bodily blossom you know just like nature does you know this feeling when you're in your kitchen you're making the breakfast or cooking or cleaning the dishes and a song comes on the radio and there's some rhythm or maybe it's a song you know or something and in that split second before you um, start repressing your body actually you just feel this urge to move your hips you know but maybe there are too many other people around you're like well (laughs) or maybe it's like I don't do that kind of thing actually I'm a terrible dancer I I shouldn't because I dance so bad that it would be disrespectful to the song well that's what we should really do um yeah We should really shake our body and and play a little bit more, but not just like sitting on the bike and, but like be a little bit more loose. We should really train that a little bit more and just watch children how they move and they roll around and they like they're So they're, they're moving the whole body, whereas we move it in very controlled ways. It's like the arms go like this, the head is always more or less stable. And we just go in a straight line instead of, you know, when are we ever lying on the floor and just sort of, you know, my daughter, she's always, she's 10, she's gonna lose it. I know, you know, they, they love to be on the floor and they love to be barefoot. So we can learn from, from, from the children and from the animals. <laughs> so just like nature goes through these, it's just like nature goes through its cycles. So do we, and there are seasons, there are seasonal cycles, monthly cycles, all women have a monthly cycle. We have, even have daily cycles and all plants do the same. They fold in on of themselves in the late autumn and they let go of their leaves, let go of their fruits They let go of their colors and fold in and onto themselves in quietude. And then they start unfolding when the light comes back. The bears and many other animals, they go into hibernation. So all living beings have these hormonal cycles. Women have the monthly cycle as well as life cycles. So there is a time for everything. And this has a lot to do with acceptance. Um, But we won't know what it is time for if we haven't learned to listen to the body and to belong to this body so instead what we do often is we get frustrated and we think that we should be different when we find ourselves in one of these cycles so i i love this phrase it's not mine Um, for example now you you guys have wanted to take part in this course it means that something is moving inside of your mind. Something in your heart, in your mind, in your being is saying, hmm, I'd like to I'd like to be more. And uh, what I see in the WhatsApp uh, is like like something is struggling to be birthed, to come into to to living, to come into life. And it's like it's like that the old you, it's like, like gravity, it's pulling you back, but something else wants to emerge. So there's like a tension between all the old patterns and the new that wants to emerge, that wants to be more present. So it's the, I love this phrase, the no longer, no ye- not yet, the no longer. So it's kind of gone, that old pattern. We can't just rely on that old pattern. So it's no longer there, the no longer, but not yet. The new is not there yet. You know, so so it's a it's a state of 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 tension where we're like, where where can I rest? The the new that I'm looking for is not really established yet. It's not integrated, but the old I don't trust it that much anymore. I don't want it that much anymore. So it's, it's we're in the, that's a kind of a difficult place to be in. I know that place very well. <laughs> I was stuck there for, but but I shouldn't name it stuck because it's a natural process. I was there for three years in the the no longer and not yet state. And this is where patience comes in. Patience is one of the really important attitudes in mindfulness. We need some a big doses of acceptance of where we are and patience and some trust. And trust, you can interchange that word with faith. Faith that we are moving in the right direction and that if we keep practicing and keep putting a, using our intention, our attention and our attitude, we will slowly grow into the not yet, to what is to come of that that new blooming that has never occurred before. And we will shed that gravity that's holding us in those old patterns. But it's actually quite painful to be in that tension where you know, you intuitively know there's a different way of being and you see it in glimpses, but then you lose it. And you're so stuck again in that gravity and you're like, fuck, you know, why? Um, Yeah, but we have this fabulous vehicle And no matter what it looks like on the outside, it can hold all of our experiences if we let it. We truly, truly must learn to come back into a deep reverential relationship with our bodies again and coming home to it for refuge. So I think it is so interesting that in a more than 2,000-year-old text that mindfulness is built on, one of the oldest Buddhist texts that's called the Satipatthana Sutta. Uh, It's one of the oldest texts in uh, in the Buddhist tradition. It outlines the four abidings of mindfulness. Often they're called the four foundations of mindfulness. But my favorite teacher, Joseph Goldstein, he, he makes a case, and many others do too, that it's better translated as the four abidings In mindfulness, I don't know, I'm not English speaker, native English speaker, but to abide, isn't that kind of to rest, to be there, to abide there, to live there. And the first abiding in mindfulness is the body, to abide in our body. It goes on to instruct us about how we should do this. It says, when you sit, know that you are sitting. When you stand know that you are standing when you walk know that you are walking and when you lie down know that you are lying i'm afraid it doesn't say anything about cycling (laughs) so what could this possibly mean when you are sitting know that you are sitting it seems a bit banal but i mean i mean is this really the first foundation or abiding in mindfulness one of the world's major religions. This must be important then. So just right now, become aware of your body sitting here. You know, just take a slightly deeper inhale. Exhale. Exhale. And just kind of abide or rest in the wholeness the sensory feel of your inner body sitting. That's all right now, you know? So this is mindfulness being present in your body. So even if you're walking and connecting to a tree, know that you're walking when you're standing, know that you're standing when you're doing the dishes, be inside your body while you're doing the dishes. When you're driving the car, don't always put the radio on. Sometimes just drive in silence. That's been a practice of mine for, for a very long time, to drive without any radio or music or nothing and just sort of sit. <laughs> um, and this is what is called embodiment, which is a very fashionable word these days. It's spoken a lot about, but often people don't really go into what does it mean? How do we do it? do we actually do it? It means really being in your body when you do the things you do. And it's a wonderful anchor. It really just gives you stability so that you don't get tossed all over the place and feel like, you know, this feeling when you're like, there's so many thoughts and so many plans and there's so much going on and there's so much stimulus and there's like, should I be with my phone or should I do something else or should I, you know, we're like so hyper often. And the body really can just bring us right back and just rest. But we need to make this a um, habit. Yeah. Um, So I've used the word belonging a lot. And now I will use a different word, the word homecoming. So what I'm speaking about is a deep homecoming to our bodies, not just as a mechanical machine here to serve us, but as our home that has so much wisdom, peace, and pure unbounded wildness and joy to teach us. And this is very important. It has the greatest holding capacity. It really can hold all our experiences, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. We can let experiences flow through this body. We don't need to hold on to them in our heads and get stuck in those uh, unwholesome mental loops. And this belonging and homecoming to our body is, in fact, an expression of and an extension of our belonging and homecoming to our larger body and our larger home, which is this living, breathing earth. You know, And we can really, really learn to sense into that. And there's a sacredness in that. There really is. Uh, the more you start sort of like, wow. I mean, appreciation, when you appreciate a tree or you appreciate the, the ancient, the most ancient being, the wind, when you appreciate the rain falling on your face, you start coming into reverence. You start coming into namaste. I see the divinity in you. I see the wholeness in you. And you can start living from there. It's a place of gratitude. And it's a place of sacredness, of seeing the sacredness in life. And then everything, in the wind, and the rain, in your fellow human beings. And when you listen to them and you think they say something incredibly stupid, you just go, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not so important. We don't have to engage with everything. Sometimes we do because we're on fire and we want to, but not always. We can just rest in the body and yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. I could go on for a long time, I've got a lot more here, but I'm going to, I'm not going to, um, just see if there's something really important. (laughs) Um, So the invitation is to slowly but steadily shift our awareness to perceive our own body as an extension, as, as part of this larger earth body, that we're just an extension of that. And also that this larger body can be a steady and safe container that can hold all our experiences. And you can ask yourself when you feel that you're getting a bit anxious or a bit, you know, do that breathing and feel that out breath and feel the pull downwards, feel that downward current that connects you. And just experiment with these things, you know, we're all different and we all need difference. So I have to say this, I love this. So Mother Teresa, she was asked by a journalist, she was asked um, uh, what do you do when you pray and she answered I just listen and then the journalist asked well what does God say to you when you pray when you're just listening and she said he doesn't say anything he just listens and if you can't understand that then I can't explain it to you <laughs> This is about deep listening, listening to our body. We have to listen inside. When we are meditating inside of our hands, we're listening to the hands. It's that open, you know, the, 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 um, the ears, they can't just shut down. They're always receiving. They're always listening. So we can learn to listen to this body. To We need a little bit more si- stillness and a little bit more silence to tune in and Listen. And what's the answer going to be? The answer is also just going to be listening. You know, there, there aren't answers. We just need to rest in what is and not resist so much what is. Yeah. And we can use this marvelous, brilliant, conceptual mind that we all have, which it's brilliant and it's fantastic and we should embrace it. But let's also use it to create habits, to create rituals, write them down. I'm going to create a new habit. I'm going to use my brilliant mind. I'm going to create a new habit. I'm going to create some rituals that I'm going to do every day or every weekend when I go out. And these rituals and habits that I'm going to create with my brilliant mind, they are going to support me in coming into this wholeness that I'm longing for. Because it's actually not going to happen all by itself. This, the no longer and not yet state that we're in. The no longer, because the gravity is sort of pulling us back to that all, the, all those patterns. But we kind of intuit, it's not really where I want to be. And they're not yet. We can sense it intuitively. It's there calling us. That's the call to adventure. But it isn't quite fully yet integrated. But it will be if we practice it. And we will rest more and more in being. I hope you enjoyed this exploration. And the session after this one, the sixth and the last session, is about cultivating a soulful relationship to life. It is about the coming together of the inner and the outer, about the call to connection and the call to action. And again, if you are interested in these kind of themes, then check out my podcast. It's called Intimacy with the World. And lastly, if you feel a bit stuck in your life or a lack of clarity, or perhaps there's a fear of stepping into your true power and maybe you feel you need to ask some deeper or bolder questions to evolve into your full potential, then you're welcome to schedule a free 25-minute one-on-one with me to see if we would be a good fit to work together for me to accompany you on the journey into more wholeness and courage. Just go to my website, www.doritaholm.com. And thank you so much for listening.